there were probably multiple things that were like, I want to be accomplished. Yes, I want to be strong and powerful, right? Yes, I want to have integrity. We have all nine of those strategies in us. There tends to be one, though, that we use most often. This is Chan with The Plan, the podcast, a podcast providing career advice and easy, actual steps for frustrated professionals, helping you overcome career challenges so you stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. I'm your host, Max Chan. Now let's dive into the episode. Hey, Sarah, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I knew you were very excited to come on today because I actually saw you tag me on a LinkedIn post because I was scrolling through my LinkedIn and I was like, what's this, right? And I saw your post about me and I was like, I really appreciate you just talking about like the show that you'll be on with me and discussing your expertise. Yeah, well, I was like, oh my gosh, how are we not LinkedIn friends yet? So went ahead and made that official and yeah, I was just looking forward to today and making some notes earlier. Well, we met on Facebook, right? So I can give you the past there because we didn't meet through LinkedIn, we met through Facebook. But now we've evolved to LinkedIn. So <laughs> it is official. Yes. Yes. All right. Great. Yeah. So your topic is very interesting. As you know, with so much shift in the economic climate right now, people are looking for new opportunities. And the common mistake that professionals make is when they look for a new opportunity, they look for extrinsic rewards, which are title, a salary, and then the brand name. What people tend to forget is that you actually have to have the right personality for the job or it's just going to be a cycle of going to the next one after a couple of years because you realize that you're not really as happy as you thought you would be from taking this opportunity. And you specialize in helping people evaluate the personality so they wouldn't know what roles to go after and they would increase their career fulfillment, leading to happier, more productive personal and professional lives, right? Correct. Yeah. You know, we've spent years and years, really since elementary school, learning about other people, presidents and artists and activists and all the other people. And very rarely have most people taken the time to learn about themselves outside of, oh, my favorite color is this and my favorite food is this, right? Like what are those drivers behind the behaviors? And so there's all kinds of tools out there, but the Enneagram, obviously I'm a little biased, is one of the best tools for understanding yourself. It's one thing to have self-awareness and then these tools kind of help you hold up that mirror so that you can actually have that self-awareness because it's hard to have it without some sort of tools to kind of help you see your strengths and those blind spots as well. So what's the difference between this Enneagram and other personality assessment tools and evaluations out there? There's two that I tend to focus on. One is it really dives deep below the surface beyond just your behavior. So there's a lot of assessments out there that will say you're an introvert or, you know, you like this, but it's like, okay, well, why? So the Enneagram helps you kind of understand why maybe you have three people in the same room doing the same thing, but what is driving that behavior could be very different for all three people. The second way that it's different and one of my favorite things about it is that it gives you clear direction on where to go once you understand your type. So it's one thing to say you really value relationships. And so it's like, great, let me look for jobs with relationship focused or that type of thing. In addition to that, when you're focused on that, you may also kind of forget about the task 
piece of your role. And so here's two other types. You're connected. They're called arrows. We won't necessarily have to get into that. But for a two, let's say for somebody who identifies as the two on the Enneagram really focused on relationships, it's going to direct you to two other types, to two other type of strategies to bring in, not to be like another person, but to bring in those tendencies to complement the strengths that you already have so that you're able to not get tripped up on the same challenge, the same issue, still being yourself, still embracing what comes natural, but just adding in some additional help to move past those challenges or obstacles. So let's take a step back. How did you get into this line of work? Great question. So I personally have been obsessed with the Enneagram for years now, probably five years. And then I had been teaching and consulting around marketing, personal branding, content writing, that type of thing, getting visible. And what I noticed was that people would have a strategy or they would have a goal that they wanted and then they would get there or they would have the plan all laid out in front of them. And then for whatever reason, they were kind of frozen or they got bored with it or actually that wasn't what they wanted at all. So I started to think, okay, so strategy is absolutely important. But there's something else going on, kind of how you opened up with that, you know, we think we want one thing and then we kind of get there and realize, okay, maybe not. And so what I found was that even me as the consultant in some of these situations, I was allowing my natural strengths, tendencies, biases, right, messages, beliefs to unconsciously a lot of times influence my advice or recommendations. You know, I'd say just do it to somebody who needed a little bit more time to process or they would never just do it. They needed to think about it, right? So it helped me. I started incorporating the Enneagram little by little into, okay, this is who you are. These are the right types of jobs to pursue based on your personality, the right type of offer to use in your business. And then it also helped me as the consultant or the leader in certain situations to understand, okay, I'm going to have these biases, but this person is going to be looking at the world a different way. I need to make sure that I understand that and adjust accordingly. That's awesome. So we talked offline and there are nine different personalities, right? Correct. Yeah. So I don't need you to go in detail for each nine, but why don't you give us a quick rundown of each of them to start off with? Yeah. Yeah. And really, I like to think of them. You'll hear, so the Enneagram is open source. So your listeners might hear somebody else talk about the Enneagram in a different way. So this is my interpretation and I encourage them to do that. But what I have found more than a personality, like this is who you are, it's kind of your natural tendencies and strategies. So the first type is a type one known as the perfectionist or the improver. They're driven by the need to be good correct, right, have high integrity. The type two is sometimes known as the helper or the giver. They're driven by the need to be loved, appreciated, and connected. I always think of the Michael Scott from The Office, like, would you rather be loved and respected? Or what was it? Would you rather be loved or feared? And he's like, both. So they're really focused on the type three is sometimes known as the achiever, the performer, the role model. They're driven by the need to be successful, to be seen as accomplished and to have value. And they really want value outside of their job title. But that is kind of how they get their value is their money, materialistic things. Um, The type four is known as the individualist, sometimes the creative. They're driven by the need to be seen as significant, to be unique 
The type five is known as the investigator, the observer. They're driven by the need to be capable, competent, self-sufficient. The type six is known as sometimes the devil's advocate, the loyalist, the skeptic, the troubleshooter. They are driven by the need to feel safe, secure, and supported. Type seven is known as the enthusiast, the multitasker, driven by the need to have freedom and flexibility and options and to run away from anything that might be emotionally uncomfortable. And then type eight is known as the challenger, sometimes known as the protector. And they're really driven by the need to be strong and powerful, never show any weakness. And then the type nine is known as the harmonizer, the peacemaker. And they're actually kind of the opposite of the type eight, looking to avoid conflict at all costs, really keep and maintain that inner and outer peace around them. So when it comes to these personalities, there are strengths and weaknesses for each one of them, right? For example, the avoiding conflict. When you start moving up the corporate world, you will have to face conflict, right? So when they want to at least try to improve their conflict avoidance? Yes. So the first thing is kind of understanding, okay, I do this. This is a thing I'm avoiding conflict. And that can sometimes look like just pure, you know, checking out, numbing out. It can also look like being busy, but not on the things. Like it can be, you know, doing everything at work that you need to do except sending that email to the client with some bad news. And so by understanding, okay, I do this. What do I need to focus on? Not to change myself, but to be able to have those tough conversations because it's kind of like clapping your hands, right? When you clap your hands, you clap your hands a certain way, but that doesn't mean that you can't clap your hands a different way. It's just you have a go-to strategy. And the more that you can bring awareness to what you typically do, the more you can be intentional with what other actions, beliefs, behaviors you need to do in place of that in certain situations. Got it. So you don't try to change someone's personality. You just try to like push them a little bit so it balances out, right? Yeah, that's a good way to think of it. Because again, it's really like identifying your own default, right? And we all need to be on default. There's just too much going on, too many decisions, too many things going on. So default mode is okay. It's just the problem is if you never looked under the hood of your car to get just a regular checkup, you know, eventually it's going to burn out. It's going to break down, right? And so that is the challenge for a lot of us. We just keep going, doing the same thing and having the same issues over and over and wondering, oh, what's wrong with me? There's something wrong with me. But in reality, it's just kind of waking up, really realizing maybe that's not the most productive serving thing that you can do in that moment. It actually might be sabotaging you and choosing a different thought, a different action, a different approach to that problem than what might be natural to you. Got it. So let's say someone doesn't like their personality assessment. Do you recommend (laughs) them try to, let's say they want to be type three, for example, because that's what their corporate leadership wants as an example, right? So what's your advice on that? Great question. Well, and side note, type threes, they're na- they're known as the achievers sometimes. So everybody wants to be the type three, right? But the problem with thinking, you know, trying to be something that you're not, you're going to be on the wrong growth path. The Enneagram isn't going to be helpful to you. This assessment isn't going to work because the only person you really need to be honest with is yourself. And then when you can be honest of those blind spots, those strengths, You can excel in almost any role and almost anybody can be a leader, right? It's not to say these certain types can't be certain things. It's just in this role, like sales role for maybe as an example, 
you know, you're going to be really focused on the client and maybe not so focused on the delivery of the product or whatever versus somebody else who might be really focused on the process and not so great at customer facing problems or issues. And so just understanding anybody can be good if they want to be in that role. It's just understanding within that role where you might run into some obstacles, if that makes sense. Yeah, I got that. And it's a good example, right? When it comes to getting promoted, people think that they eventually have to be people leaders. And some people, based off your one of the nine personalities, they might not be a good people leader, but they think that they have no choice when it comes to moving up. But then they're unhappy, they're stressed out because they not only have to manage their own work, but they have to manage the work of their direct reports, right? Yeah, and that is great, great point. So, you know, you can lead from behind. You can have influence with knowledge. You know, there are certain types that tend to shine by helping others shine. And so exactly what you said, just understanding that there's still ways to lead without always being in the spotlight. So you have obviously your paid coaching, paid evaluations, and then I'm assuming you have free resources. So in terms of like working with you in the Enneagram, how does one start? Do you give them like a free assessment, like a free questionnaire, and then that will help you figure out where they are, and then you will have strategies to help them improve wherever they want to go? How does all that process work? Yeah. So the best place to start is by understanding what your dominant Enneagram type is. And out of all the assessments, this can be the most frustrating piece of the Enneagram process because unlike some of the others where you take an assessment and then they spit back four letters, you know, five strengths, whatever it might be, this one is really a self-identification process. And so you can take an assessment to give you clues. I also recommend reading books. And then working with a certified Enneagram coach like myself or somebody else can also help you interpret those results and help you use those results as clues, asking you questions. How do you see the world? What motivates this behavior? That type of thing. And then sometimes people know right away. I'm a type, for example, type eights typically know with that kind of decisive, bold energy that this is me. And there's other types, sometimes the type six or nine or twos, where they're a little bit more questioning. It might take weeks and it might take months of kind of learning. So it's just as much as you want to put into it, but it does help expedite when you can work with somebody to help kind of interpret the assessment results. How long does the assessment take and how many questions would there be? So because the Enneagram is this open source tool, there's all kinds of free quizzes. There's not one single, you know, Enneagram governing board out there. So there's free assessments. I really like something called the personality pass and I'll send you the link so your listeners can check that one out. That's a free one. It's 10 minutes maybe. And then there are paid ones. One that I use with my own clients is called the Enneagram Institute test. It's 12 bucks. So still not, you know, going to break the bank. And that one is 144 questions and takes about 15, 20 minutes to complete, but it's going to give you a little bit more thorough of an understanding of yourself. Do you answer it based on the spectrum? What I mean by that is like, do you agree with the statement or strongly disagree? Is that how it usually works? Or is it more like open-ended answers? Yeah. So it'll be multiple choice and kind of what would you do in this situation? How would you react? And the thing is like, when I was reading through what motivates 
each of the nine types. I'm sure you probably could do this and your listeners probably can relate to this. There were probably multiple things that were like, yeah, like I want to be accomplished. Yes, I want to be strong and powerful, right? Yes, I want to have integrity. So we have all nine of those strategies in us. There tends to be one though that we use most often and we use it kind of without thinking. So I always think, you know, don't try not to overthink it, whether you're taking the free test or a paid test, just think, okay, what sounds most like me most of the time? It's not going to be hundred percent of the time, but most of the time. Got it. You make a good point. Yes, there are nine personality types, but it's not an absolute where you're hundred percent type three, hundred percent type four. Like there are different traits that you would possess in each one of them, right? Yeah. And something we haven't talked about, but absolutely will impact or influence kind of how your type presents itself is something called the levels of development. And so within each type, if you're kind of thinking of like a silo, let's say type six, within that, there's kind of going to be like this average level of emotional intelligence where you're going to look like the stereotypical type eight that's or type six that's in the textbooks. But then there is a lower level where, you know, maybe something happened and you're kind of operating in a less emotionally healthy way. And so you're going to look a little different. And then above that average state is you're living your best life. You've really navigated around some of your blind spots. You're really focused on personal growth, professional development, and you may not on the outside look like the average type six, but still that fire, that drive um, that pushes those actions is going to be the same. Got it. And another point I want to bring out is obviously when it comes to corporate world, you'll be working with diverse mix of personalities. So even if you're again, type three, you might be working with a perfectionist in type one or, and another person on the team might be type eight, right? So what's your advice in terms of working with people with diverse personalities? Obviously you're not going to 100% guess which one they are, but you would have an idea based on how long you work with them. So how would you adapt and make sure that everybody you work with, you get along with, and you're able to achieve the company's goals? Yeah. You know, I think getting curious both about yourself and others is a great place to start. And so the first step is understanding yourself, right? It's hard to have a healthy relationship if you don't have that self-awareness. And then also that self-management piece, being able to manage your emotions and your responses and understanding your triggers. And so going into a relationship at work or a conversation, a tough conversation, potentially knowing, okay, so for me, I'll tell you, I'm a type seven. So I know one of my pitfalls can be overwhelming people with these enthusiastic ideas. We could do this and we could do this and we could do this, right? So when I'm working with a client or presenting to a group, I need to be really aware. No matter what your Enneagram type is across the desk from me on the screen, I know that's a tendency that I have. So I'm going to try and kind of manage that and then read that other person. You know, are they slower to respond? Okay, maybe I need to slow down a little bit. Are they asking a lot of questions before they get started? And so I may not know what that type is, but I know it's very different than me. And so I just need to be aware that they may need more time to process. They may have more questions, or maybe I'm going too slow for them. Maybe they're that eight energy and just get to the point kind of thing. Don't give me all the details. Just tell me what I need to know and I'm on my way. And so it's just kind of paying attention to the other person and getting curious. Why did they do that? Or, hmm, that's interesting. Why did I respond that way? 
And you can even start to ask, you know, I noticed that you said this in the meeting, what's behind that? Or is there something I can do? Is there a better way to communicate with you to present this information? Got it. And going back to like the workplace, let's say you've done the assessments, you know who you are as a person. When you're interviewing for jobs, what type of questions should you ask the hiring manager or recruiter to make sure that this is the right personality fit for you? Okay. So again, I have so many favorite things, but one of my other favorite things with the Enneagram is that in really any of these assessments or tools is that it gives you language. It helps you communicate and really advocate for yourself. So you might know that something irks you, but it's like, I don't know why that irks me. And it's like, oh, it's because I need options or it's because I like people to be really direct or whatever the thing might be. And so the more that you know about you and using the Enneagram to give some additional clues about your personality and your wants and motives, you then have the language to know as a type one, listen, structure and routines and values are really important to me. So, you know, let me ask some questions. What are the company's values? Do they have them clearly laid out? How do they structure? How are we expected to structure this project? Is there a process? You know, if there's not, if people are just sharing ideas and they're going with it and there's not a lot of discernment or kind of let's talk about this, look at the risk instead of just jumping right in, that may not be the best environment for you. It may not necessarily be even the role. It might be that may not be the best leader for you or just the type of culture. Got it. And what are some examples with your clients that made drastic career changes based off your work with them and their assessment? That is a great question. So it's a little different now with COVID and kind of everybody working from home. But one that jumps out at me is because I resonate with this a lot is there was somebody who was in a sales role. And while they really enjoyed talking to people, they were required to come into the office every day. And they had this little cubicle office and they made the same 25 calls and the same 25 emails and every single day, same thing, same thing, same thing, right? For somebody that might feel so good. It's like, I know what's expected of me every day. There's nothing new. You know, I can be safe and comfortable here. Love that. But for this person specifically, they thought, you know, maybe I'm just not supposed to do sales because I don't want to have to make the same calls every single time. When in reality, it wasn't their ability around sales. It was their kind of limited options to do anything else outside of those tasks every day. And then to be in that cubicle going to the same place. Whereas maybe if they understood, I need freedom. Like I work great from a coffee shop or if I could just come into the office two days, right? Understanding that about yourself, then you can advocate for yourself because they she didn't even have a chance to, you know, let her employer make those changes for her or to say, no, we're not going to do that for you because she wasn't even able to kind of put words to why it was so hard for her in that environment until after she had left and realized, okay, I have freedom here. I have freedom around my hours. So even that type of thing, it wasn't the role. It was actually the environment in that situation. And speaking of environments, obviously we've heard the story of a bad boss, right? So do you think having a bad boss is a clash of personalities? Absolutely. And just not understanding where that person is coming from. Because, you know, I've worked with somebody else who has a lot of ideas. Again, I can relate to that. And they're sitting down at the meeting every week with like, hey, okay, so I got this idea and this is what we're going to do. But for somebody who really appreciates and needs structure and, you know, a process 
that is so overwhelming. That can be infuriating because you're thinking, oh, we literally just came up with a plan for another project last week, and here we are with another one. And so it may not even be, you know, I know that there are absolutely toxic bosses out there. I think more times than not, though, it's just like a misalignment of not understanding where each other is coming from. And maybe if you had that conversation or had a tool to help you say, this is why this is so aggravating to me. And then this is where they're coming from. That communication could be more productive and it may not be, but, you know, rather than just saying, it didn't work out or, you know, they're toxic. Um, there may be some room for some, again, getting curious and understanding that other person. As someone who has gained education in the Enneagram, let's say they haven't gotten along with their manager or a coworker. Do you think that it's still fixable now that they have this information and they can assess who they're working with and then adapt to their personality? I think it depends on, you know, how far gone, <laughs> how long it's been going on. I know even in, you know, romantic relationships, sometimes it's just like, I am so over it. I'm so bitter. I'm so eaten up with resentment. It may be time just to start over. But in those situations, at least you know going into the next one what to look for in the job description, what type of questions to ask in the interview, because you know my personality wasn't you know conducive or I wasn't able to thrive in that environment. So let me ask the questions now so I know what I'm getting into. And I want to say it's not. It just kind of depends on you know how bitter and resentful you are. And also, right, it takes two to have a productive, happy, healthy relationship. So if your leader, if your boss is willing to learn about themselves and open up and, you know, grow, then absolutely it could work. But if they're just kind of like, well, this is who I am, take it or leave it, that's going to be a hard relationship to navigate through. Yeah. Like you said, it depends on how far gone the relationship is. If you've been butting heads for the past couple of years, it might not be worth it trying to salvage it. Because even if you're trying to work with them, they might already have an impression of you that they don't want to bother, right? Right. Exactly. You said you were a type seven, right? Identify most as a type seven. I do. Okay. So in terms of your personal background, were you always aligned with your type seven personality or was there a shift based off learning about the Enneagram and then you were able to go do what you actually want to do, you enjoy based off your personality. So why don't you share us more about how the Enneagram has helped you in your career? I love this question. You know, it's been really fun the more that I learn about the Enneagram, and I still learn about myself through the Enneagram, you know, regularly. But it's been really fun to kind of look back and sometimes cringe, sometimes laugh at, oh my gosh, this makes so much sense. Why that role didn't work out for me or why I had conflict with this person. And even now, you know, running my own business, there are certain things like I have new ideas all the time for new offers. Oh my gosh, I'm going to do this marketing idea. And that can be really helpful, that visionary piece of it. But also I have to know, okay, wait, Sarah, are you just getting a new idea because you want to do a new idea? Or is this truly serving you and your business. And then looking at past, you know, jobs and just kind of understanding why that drove me insane so much. It's been really funny. And really, even since high school, there's been things that I've looked at and realized, oh my gosh, I really needed to always have options. I never wanted to be told, you know, I had to only pick one thing. And so, like I said, sometimes it's funny and sometimes I'm like, oh, I did that. <laughs> no wonder why I kept having the same problem. 
Okay, great. And what's the big learning lesson that you've learned from using the Enneagram throughout your journey that you could share with us? Mm, Okay, let me see one. I think we've talked about it a little bit, but just really getting curious about why you do what you do. And then also getting curious with with others. And there's a lot of between the news and things going on, you know, there are all kinds of places to have conflict and to feel like I'm right. The way that I'm seeing the world is absolutely right. And not to say you need to change your values or your opinions. I don't think the Enneagram is a tool for you to be able to agree with everybody, but I do think it is a tool to be used to at least have understanding of where somebody else might be coming from. And then when you have that understanding, the hostility (laughs) can take a notch down. The resentment can take a notch down. You know, it's hard sometimes though when you feel so passionately about a topic or your opinion, your stance, but also there can be so much that can come from understanding somebody else's point of view. And who knows how that could influence your role, how you show up, your leadership style, the team, the company in general by, you know, hey, I never thought about it that way. I don't agree. (laughs) But, you know, that's an interesting thought. Let me, I'll keep mulling that over. So having that understanding and empathy for other people, I think has been incredibly helpful for me. Just one of the things using the Enneagram. All right. And in terms of the next steps, if someone's listening to this podcast right now, and again, they are at a standstill with their career, let's say jobs have a couple of times and they're not satisfied. What do you think that they should do right now to take the next step in redirecting their career path to where they want to go? I would recommend learning about the different Enneagram types and then understanding, you know, where you are and then looking at those strengths, like where do you thrive and looking for roles that align with that. You know, it sounds really simple. The Enneagram though really helps you go deeper beyond just, I'm really good with communicating or I'm really good with details. It's so much more than that. So then you can really make sure, kind of like we said, with it's not just the role that you're looking at too, it's that culture and asking the right questions and checking in with yourself. Not because this job has a great title, but because this job aligns with my motives and aligns with my values. That's why I want to apply to this. And you know, that's what's going to make it more sustainable. So there's books, there's podcasts. I obviously do Enneagram assessment readings. And so all kinds of resources out there to help you get started on that Enneagram journey. Awesome. And I want to end this podcast episode with one last question for you. So my podcast is about helping professionals overcome common career challenges to help them take their career to the next level. So what is one life lesson or career challenge that you had to overcome? And someone listening right now could take away an action and become a better individual. That is another really great question. I think the common challenge that I have had is, and this is one I don't really love to admit, but I hate being told what to do. And that's really difficult, (laughs) especially when you're on a team, even a peer, right? You know, making a suggestion. And so I have really had to grow and I am still very much doing this to be okay with somebody else being in charge sometimes and putting my ego away, thinking my opinions and my ideas are the best and allowing somebody else to be right and to take the lead in certain situations. Yeah. Like a common thing for me is like when you do your own coaching practice or any service business, you think that you call the shots, but sometimes the client wants their opinion, right? So 
Yeah. So even though they paid you for your service, they still want to provide some input and direction and you might not like <laughs> it, right? So that's a learning lesson for people who are thinking about starting something. Absolutely. Yeah, that is very much a good one. Again, really appreciate your time, Sarah. So how can people get in contact with you to learn more about what you do and how you can help them? Well, I actually have a page for your listeners. It's at enneagrammba.com forward slash Chan with a plan. And there is a free Enneagram typing guide. So you can check that out. And then there are links to other books and podcasts, including my own podcast, the Enneagram MBA podcast, to get you started on your Enneagram journey, if that's something that's interesting to you. Okay. I really appreciate the time, Sarah, and enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you. I appreciate the invite. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here's three ways I can help you achieve your career goals for free. First, subscribe to this podcast as I post two episodes a week. Number two, leave a five-star review as this helps build the credibility of the show so we can gain access to more influential people to interview and bring those lessons to you to help elevate your career. And number three, connect with me on social media. There's a link in the show notes for you to click on that compiles all my active social media accounts, making it easy for you to find me and connect with me. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, Thank you.